Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank. Some weeks we struggle to, to work out what to talk about. I think the first two weeks of the season is probably a fair reflection of that. You know, wins over Northampton, wins over Leicester and you're kind of sat there thinking, okay, yes, we've got wins to talk about, but what what, what can we kind of address on the pod? Uh, this week is not one of them. Uh, my name is Lewis and joining me is my co-host Alex. And Alex, we're obviously coming to uh, to our listeners off the back of a 43 points to nothing defeat away at Exeter. Um, and as I've alluded to off the off the hop there, um, there's a bit there's a bit to chat about because you know what what the hell went on? Yeah, you're absolutely right, mate. What the hell went on? I don't know. I just kept seeing the score racking up and thinking, oh, that's a that's a shame, but we'll you know score a try. Well, when we're going to lose this game, but we might at least you know not get nilled. But here we are on the back of an absolute pasting um, down in in the West Country, South Southwest Country. So um, yeah, it, I don't know what went on. Honestly, I think. Exeter played like they used to play. Um, we talked in the preview last week about, you know, oh, they're playing this new style of rugby a bit. You know, they're kind of, uh, when they played Quinns, they were throwing it about a bit more and, and looking really exciting. And what actually happened was that the weather was awful and Exeter absolutely battered us up front. And as a result, nothing ever really got going for us. And it's massive proof of the... Um, speaking as a back, um, how important a good forward back is. Because if you get beat up front, if you lose that physical dominance, which we are massively reliant on, then you can't win the game. And I don't think if we played a different style of rugby, like if we played a Quinn's style rather than our style, it would have been any different. We just got done up front. And, and you sort of have to hold your hand up and go, yeah, that's happened. I think the concern is that Yes, we had you know very inexperienced players in some positions. You know, obviously, Nathan Langdon making his debut and that kind of thing at hooker, um, but we didn't. It wasn't like we had a completely novice pack out there, and this isn't an extra team that has got the pack of three years ago. So, you know, our hybridy pack got sort of absolutely pumped by Hexter's hybridy pack, which is. Yeah, that that's the worry for me, but yeah. it is just massive evidence of how important winning that physical battle up front is, isn't it? Well, you look at you look at the pack that we had on the day, uh, at least starting Ross Harrison, who's got what three hundred Premiership appearances now. Uh, sorry, two hundred Premiership appearances, three hundred for sale. Uh, Nathan Langdon at two uh, at Hooker, as, as you identified, making his um, um, Premiership debut. Nick Shonner at three, Kermit Feaster at four, Johnny Hill at five. Ruben Birch, six, uh, Ernst Van Rijn, seven, Dan Dupree, eight. I mean, Dan Dupree, Van Rijn, Johnny Hill, Cobus Visa, Shona, those are players that you would expect to be starting for sale when everyone is is fit and healthy. It's only really maybe, well, definitely Langdon, maybe Birch, who's, you know, he's been playing a, a fair bit already this year, that you would say, are definitely not first choice. I mean, look, I think in Langdon's case, he's probably what fourth choice hooker. You would probably say the same for Ruben Birch as well. But it's not as if you know we 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 sent out a load of kids. Um, and 
it, it does does leave you wondering a little bit, which is, you know, how, how did it go so wrong when, when in reality, yes, I know Hook is an important position. Yes, I know your, your flank is an important position. But it's not as if it was, uh, you, you know, the uh, the academy team that we, we'd had to roll out. Yeah, exactly. And, and that is the question that I don't think even we can answer because I think when you, when you were watching it, it's just every department, yeah, we're getting... And I think it started to kind of snowball as well. But, you know, once you, if you're under the pump, we're obviously away from home, which doesn't help. You've got a big extra crowd right up for it. We said it was their first home game of the season, I think. Um, so they're going to get behind them. And once they get on top and that momentum just goes, it's the, the confidence thing as well as the, the physicality thing. You know, I think we've, we're missing once we kind of lose... Um, that depth at hooker, you start to see how kind of lightweight our pack is, and it happens in a few areas. And I don't mean lightweight as in, you know, we've got a little, but we've got a lot of people who are utility players um, in that. And we talked about how great it was that we had, you know, fours who could play six, who could play five, blah, blah, blah. But without the kind of heft of Jean-Luc Dupria, you look and it's, yeah, it's big physical blokes in Covis Reese and Johnny Hill and Van Reen. Uh, Dan Dupria, but it's also you haven't got that kind of that kind of player like a and we always do this on this pod and we need to find another player for it. But that Johnny Mills of you know will just sit in the mall and soak up all the pressure and you know um, it'll be like just the the old school forward and and maybe maybe that's part of it. I don't think it is entirely. I think you know, the game's moved on um, since those kind of days, but. I do think there was a bit of a bit of nous and a bit of kind of proper old fashioned, you know, grunt work that, as as simple as that sounds, and as maybe old school as it as it sounds, um, you know, you just need that kind of hard nosed edge to you when you when you're playing games away at Exeter and and they're up for it. And I think, you know, we we know we have that when we have a full strength pack out and listen like this is a really long season we only need to finish in the top four ideally obviously top two but you know a loss away at Exeter isn't going to define the season but I think it has exposed what we were all a bit worried about in the way that the squad changes and the salary cap changes have kind of affected our strength in depth um, and you know if that is if that is where our strength in depth kind of you know is at that performance then you know it's not gonna be a struggle this season because we've got lots of breaks but I think we're going to have another one of those this season at some point because at some point there's going to be a load of injuries top up and and that's what we didn't do last season and, and that's kind of a combination of not having the injuries but also I think there's a little bit more depth than there is now um and as a result, I think you didn't see those massive off performances because this is kind of a hark back to five or six years ago um, when you know we were we did go away and get a shed load of points put on at places like Northampton and just had no answer and it was like a dimes but we didn't get off the bus let's move on we'll win our home games kind of thing wasn't it? Yeah, and and this is uh, I mean we'll, we'll we'll get onto it in probably the next five minutes about you know how how worried should we be you know what's the issue blah 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 but you, you're right you, you you've <laughs> you've touched upon a theme uh, of, of maybe the last decade uh, and you, you started it with the reference to Jonathan Mills what a player not heard that name for a while 
Um, but you're right, like, you know, we'd, every every other week it'd be, oh, we didn't get off the bus or we weren't right mentally and, and blah, blah, blah. And it was, you know, a fair, fair amount of excuses from Dimes, which, you know, I think in hindsight, it, 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 it's just covered for the fact that we were so far off the pace in terms of squad quality, right? Um, and I was at that Northampton game where they put 60 on us at Franklin's Gardens. It was rubbish. Anyway, um, but the... But there's, there's a whole thing about not getting off the bus and not being right mentally, not being prepared properly. That sort of stuff is supposed to sort of fall away. You know, Axe talks a big game about the mental side of rugby and, and being sort of not just physically right, but but mentally right. And we have actually seen, uh, we have seen that in the last sort of two, three years. That there's This is the first time in a long time I can remember where we were just not up for it at all. And whether or not we want to say that that's, you know... Um, the, the club having like a part-time psychiatrist as part of the coaching staff now or or whether or not it's just a case of well we've got more quality and we're, we're a better team now than we were eight years ago you know we, we can we can argue about that but this was the worrying thing for myself which is I've not seen Sale capitulate that for for a number of years now um and when you look at the Exeter team that we were playing it's not as if it was the spring box right this was a very average team, you know, and I know you guys sort of spoke about it a little bit. You know, the, the, even, even from two or three years ago, the, the quality of players that the Chiefs have lost versus who they've brought in, is, it's, it's notable in terms of how much of a step backwards they've taken. And, you know, there are going to be games this year where maybe we don't have the Curries and we don't have the Dupreeers and, um, you know, Saracens can roll out their, their entire um squad of, of English internationals and, and you're going to get a result like that. But to me, I don't know if you agree, the thing that's really worrying is we, we basically got beaten, and no offence to these guys, but by a team of, of relative nobodies. You know, how many players actually, you know, before the game could you have picked out of a, of a lineup? But As somebody who watches rugby every weekend, there's only five or six players in that Chiefs starting 15 that um, I, I, I would consider to be household names to 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 even um, you know even intermediate rugby fans, and I think that's 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 what's worried me, um, along with uh, conceding forty three points and and getting nilled as well. Yeah, I think that's a really big thing that getting nilled because you know we've said so much about our kind of resurgence in attack and and how that looks really positive. Um, and and we've been firing, you know, this season. We've looked decent at times. Um, I, yeah, I don't know which bit is worse because we pride ourselves um, on the defence, and you know we've just managed to concede forty three points away from home. And, and I think as a professional rugby team, a forty three point difference as well. That's the real kind of kicker. Um, I mean, I agree with you. I think, yeah, li- listen, absolutely no disrespect to Exeter. There's some really good players in there and they are all coming through and they all will be household names. But I think as a from a sales charts perspective, you have got to kind of be conscious of that and go, you know, these are inexperienced guys. They've not got premiership experience. They're, they're getting it and they're, they're very, very good players and they will be the bedrock of this extra team going forward probably. But at the moment, they're not. And... And we've got guys who are really experienced at the Premiership, and and you know, that's the kind of that's the, a bit of a concern and a bit of a difference for me that you know this is in five years' time, these kids are going to be at Exeter, and I, you kids in a in a um, sort of 
condescending way, but they are kids, you know, and that's really exciting for Exeter. And it's really good that they've kind of got that next generation coming through. Um, but they're going to be experienced Premiership players, and and what you kind of look at from a sale perspective is okay, who's who's going to be with them? Who's going to be the sale guys that are matching up against that? And I think it comes to a bit of a wider point. And I mean, listen, we might get accused of being a bit sensationalist here, but if you can't be sensationalist after a forty-three 0 pacing away from home, when can you? Um, the forwards that we bring through our academy, we are not bringing through enough, or we've got a real kind of, you know, we've, we're bringing through such good backs. We're bringing through Roebuck, we're bringing through Reed, we're bringing through Carpenter, Derity. Um, we've had War, Quirk, Thomas. We've got Curtis at 10. You know, we've got a whole backline of academy kids who I think are going to be a real heart of that sale team going forward for a long time. If you then flip that to, okay, who are we bringing through the academy and in the forwards? And I know it takes longer, but it's like who's who's pushing for that first team place and putting pressure on Dan Dupree, Comus Reese, Johnny Hill? Because Tom Curry and Ben Curry are now fully fledged senior squad members. James Harper is fair enough, you know, coming on performing in Premiership games. Um, and we know that that position develops slower. But, you know, like, the the rest of the pack, you know, kind of hooker, loose head, second row has been a massive issue for us for a long, long time. Yeah, and even back row, you know, again, we we kind of it feels like yeah, there is obviously an opportunity for the younger guys. We've got people like Tristan Woodman, you know, under who's you know, eighteen, nineteen, so he's obviously a bit further back. But it's kind of are we producing those kind of players? Because yeah, we're producing really good backs, but we are just going to have to keep buying in big lumpy forwards um, yeah. well, until we fix that, aren't we? Well, I've got, yeah, I'm, I've got a question for you, which I'll come back to momentarily, but I think it's a really good point. Um, and when you have games like this, you, know, you do have to sift through it you know, to kind of understand, well, what went wrong? Is it just the case of we, we didn't get off the bus? Or, to the point that Alex has just made very well, is it a case of, the, the lads who are coming through in our team, the, the 20, 21, 22, 23-year-olds in the, in the pack, aren't at the quality of Exeter's. And, and again, no disrespect to Nathan Langdon or, or Ruben Birch, but you know, the, the, this is where, it's these sort of games that you use as a measuring stick. And, you know, you go up and down the, the list of our forwards um, who, who, played on, um, who, who played on Saturday um, and I think you can be disappointed to, to a man, which is, you know, Ross Harrison and Nick Shonner are, are both, you know, late 20s, early 30s. You know, we, we should be expecting more. Um, you know, Kobus Visa has been part of the club for four or five years. Johnny Hill's, a, you know, a, a, a tier one international. And I think to a man, it was it was the way which we capitulate up front is, is really concerning. Um, and I guess, Alex, the, the question I wanted to ask you before we do three word reviews is it's, it's a great point about our academy development because, after 2016, when, when the Currys made their debut, who's been the most impactful forward that's come through the Sale Academy? I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling to think, of, to, to think of a player. Yeah, I think you're right, because, you know, if you think before, if you think about the Academy players in the forwards now, and who you would kind of go, yeah, Academy player, you'd go Cy McIntyre, Tommy Taylor, Josh Bowman, all pre-2016 by quite a long way. Um, you'd go the Currys. And then, yeah, I completely agree. Doug Dale... I'd, I'd say but, maybe Bevan Bevan Rod. Yeah, but, Bevan Rod. Yeah, sorry, that's but, it. But 
But but then again, Bevan Rod is a player who wasn't starting for sale last year. You know, Sam McIntyre yeah. was starting, and I know it's different for uh, um, uh, props and, and front row players. But you know, he's he's twenty three, and and I know aging curves are different for props. But again, he's he's not necessarily been um, he, he's not made that number one shirt completely his own. Um, yeah, but I think he is like I think I think we've forgotten about him, and I think he is because he's been playing for England and stuff. Like he, you know, he is he is on that kind of level where you get if if we're going in when they're at the peak, who is going to be a regular sales starter potentially an international? Bevan Rod is, and yeah. like I think mean, that's the kind of player we want because you know he's done so much good stuff in the sales shirt, and I think is you know had. His the challenge for him has been that he's up against a Cy McIntyre who's been in incredible form. If Cy McIntyre, if we'd never signed Cy McIntyre, like if you know he hadn't come back, Bevan Rod would be starting and we would be not be having any issues. I don't think. Um, I think it's just we're just quite lucky that we've got two excellent number ones, and, and Ross Harrison's the one that suffered there rather than Bevan Rod. Um, you know, he's the one who's kind of missed out on the on getting selected in the twenty three. But yeah, I agree. Other than that, you know, we've we've had Curtis Langdon, who we've let go. We've had Ewan Ashman, who has gone to Scotland. So you know, there's two very good players there. But that kind of retention piece is, you know, that that was a bit of a. We had a lot of hookers around, and we probably didn't see coming, and which is you know, no one could predict this, but we probably didn't see coming that um, Acker would want to go back to South Africa, that Ewan Ashman would go back to Scotland, and if, well, if think- you know. Hindsight, fair, yeah, you could, you could see Ashman going back to Scotland, but the Acker thing really did did take the club by surprise. I think, yeah. So, but you know, so we we have produced decent players, but again, and you know, other than I think Curtis Langdon is nailing down a starting shirt in a Premiership team now, and he is at the age where he should be. But it's kind of that cohort, you know. You think of like a Matt Postlethwaite. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Dugdale before, who kind of has actually had a really different kind of journey to all those other players and probably sort of came through a bit, ended up getting released. Obviously, COVID thing happened and, and here we are. He's now really integral member of the squad and I think we missed him on, on Saturday. Um, so, but I agree with you that I think, you know, let's, let's be honest here, we're probably missing people. Um, who have come through and maybe have ended up elsewhere or or just not made it for whatever reason. But um, between the two of us, we're kind of having this conversation and having to think really hard, whereas you ask us who's come through the academy in the backs and we can like rattle them off, can't we? And and that's that's the difference. And I don't know whether that's just luck, whether it's harder or whether it's a timing thing because, you know, Maybe the academy improvements come through are seen faster in the backs and in the forwards, um, but you know it's a it's a crucial part of the squad, and and I think it's a bit of a challenge now for this season because teams are going to look at that extra game and they're going to go well we can target them in the pack and we can target them up front and if we do that then we'll beat them because they will um, it, anyone will win any game of rugby but certainly against us if we dominate us as a general rule, you'll beat us because everything on our game is predicated on kind of winning the yeah. contact, winning collisions. And I think that's why, I mean, look, I, I, I completely appreciate if you're a self-fan listening to this and it's like, oh, it, it seems 
you know, we're c- catastrophizing a little bit. But I guess it's games like this over the course of a season where you do really notice the fact that Sale's first three choice hookers are all 30 or, or well past 30 in the case of um, Augustine Creevy. You know, it's it's times like this where you notice that actually we we have a lot of flankers, but we don't necessarily have many specialist number eights. And Dan Dupree has had, you know, some really rotten injury look for the last couple of years. You know, um, the, the the lock stocks, you know, we, we talked about this in, in the preseason, like 15 and um, and and uh, number four are, are real problem areas for us. And and, and look, every, every team in the Premiership is going to do this. Are Sale still going to win probably 8% of the games this year? Yeah, probably. But all it takes is, uh, you know, a couple of injuries. Um, and all of a sudden, Alex has just very rightly said that teams will be able to actually target us up front, and in a way that we just never would have expected to uh, to say that even a, even a season ago. And it shows you the impact of the salary cap and, and players moving on. But you know, when you're picking through a 43 point loss, you do have to look at well, where did things go wrong, and it starts up front and it starts being bested in the scrum and the mall, which which Exeter just completely you know walked all over us in. And you say, well, yeah, it's because. You know, we were playing our fifth fifth choice, you know, hooker. Um, you know, we were playing our fifth choice, you know, number six. And, you know, it, it doesn't take long before that can have a real impact on your ability to, to you know, to win games or at least stay competitive. Um, right, fair, fair bit to get into there. Um, but we've got some three-word reviews. And Alex, you're, you're, on, uh, you're on review duty this week. I am on review duty this week. Thanks very much to everyone who sent these in, as always. A very good selection, and I could have done all of them, but I've tried to pick out the ones with the main themes. Um, so, Jack Worthy, new scrum coach, which I think we've, maybe is a conversation we need to have uh, later on. Peter Taylor, bollockings all round, which is absolutely fair, and I imagine there is some serious heat on the coach back. Uh, David Davies wasted money traveling. Um, that was kind of one of a few that you know. I massive respect to any sale fans who went down to Exeter because it's a long way to go to see us get pasted. Um, and yeah, it's uh, especially anyone who did it in a day. Um, you have utter utter respect, and you probably deserve some sort of free pint at the next game. Um, Oscar Hickson, glad I missed it. Uh, missed it is one word. I can't believe I've let that get through. Sorry. Um, Robert Percival Halloween Horror Show, uh, which I liked very much. That's good. Uh, Joe Cliff, Pointless Day Out. Tay, Front Row Farce. Uh, Matt Sansbury, Did We Play? Uh, Alistair, Invest in Youth. And Moreland's Rugby Dad, Honest Squad Assessment. And I think those last two we've kind of been talking about anyway, but it does, you know, that question on is the squad set up to win the league this season they're a really good one because you know there should have been a load of sort of strengthening of the 10 squads coming from 13 clubs to 10 squads we've got you know we've had quite a lot of stability um and this is probably the first real kind of pressure that alex anderson's gonna get where you can't give him the out of he needs time and you know i remember a season in that season where after Sanderson's first half season, the season after where we weren't great and you know there's a bit of pressure. You kind of always had the backup. Well, he's only had half the season and half the season. He's not had a full season with the squad. And then obviously the season after we get to the prem final, he's got loads of credit in the bank. And this is by no means a you know is 
Alexander's the right guy. He absolutely is the right guy for me. But the question, what would be interesting is if there's some pressure now coming on because of this result. Because it's, and this is to Alexander's credit, it's the first time we've had a result like this that I can remember for a long time. Um, and and that will naturally invite kind of pressure. I think the benefits are it was away from home, so you know everyone knows that you know away at Exeter is a tough place to go. It wasn't on telly. So I think you saw in the three-word reviews there that um, a few of us, and me included, I had this. I wasn't watching it live, and there was no way I was going back and spending two hours of my life watching the full eighty minutes. You know, and so I'll hold my hands up and say I've got the full game replay and skipped through it as fast as I could. But I might not have had the full frustration of anyone who went down to Exeter because, you know. It's just, people won't do that. Fans won't do that. There's no way, you know, uh, whoever you are, you're not going, if you if you have gone back and watched the 80 minutes of us getting pumped 43-0, then A, respect, but B, there was a really good game on Saturday night. It was New Zealand, South Africa. It was amazing. You should definitely watch it. And there were other good games. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can find something better to do because, you know, it's, it's not going to make people want to watch, is it? Um, so that might, anyway, long long story short, that might get Alex Hansen a little bit more breathing room. But, you know, it's the pressure that comes with it. And and do you do you look at the coaches? Do you look at the players? Do you look at the setup? Um, that's, that's the kind of questions that will come out. And listen, we've got a pretty quick turnaround Friday night. You know, there's a chance to rectify it. But I do think, you know, we're going to have, and you can see in those three-word reviews, you sent a lot of people down to Exeter to, and put in a pretty rubbish performance. Um, and I think one other one that I didn't say, but I will say now, uh, was Paul McMahon, not enough commitment. And and that's going to be the thing that people might, you know, sort of be annoyed about if if you're getting smashed 43 nil. Uh, especially when they've had to drive six hours eat there, and yeah, back. and it's it's look, it's a funny old game. Um, you know, the cell had two tries basically chalked off. Um, Cobus Visa um, goes over for for in close. No conclusive evidence that that he grounded the ball. I think we could feel a little bit hard done by. Um, the the reality is he he probably got it down, but to to be fair. The referee's call on field was no try. There's no evidence to overturn that. It's not a try. Get on with it. Uh, that I, I think we feel a little bit hard done by, but it's completely understandable. Tom O'Flaherty, you know, very very nearly pulls in a, a pretty impressive, um, you, you know, second attempt. Um, he doesn't quite get there. You know, the, these are the sort of little moments, the sliding doors moments throughout the game, where you, you know potentially you could see. You know the the momentum shift a little bit, but you know, so we're under the cost from from the start. Exeter were very good value for the win. You know, and you saw that right at the end of the first half. You know, Sale had the had the ball on the halfway line. The uh, they go to play backs move. Uh, Rob Dupree throws the pass. It misses the man. Um, the ball goes loose, and the the Exeter uh, winger you know picks it up and, and runs it in from forty meters under the post. And and by that point, I think it was um, twenty nine. Uh, 29 points to, to Zilch or something similar um, just before half time that's a killer, that's, that's kind of game over Yeah absolutely and I think it's a good point that we haven't touched on yet is that kind of red zone efficiency um, that 
Exeter had in spades. And again, it came from that forward dominance. So it, it does come back to that for me. But also, we didn't. And and listen, we've the attack hasn't been 10 out of 10 this season, but it has at times. We've got over the line when we needed to against both Northampton and Leicester. We've found ways to score. And we just, we really struggled. You're right, you know, there, there were opportunities for us to score and, and, and we probably could have got some points on the board. So that's one area that, you know, we probably have to look at. But I do think that almost the dominance and the, the fact that we were just getting battered in really simple terms meant that even if we'd scored those, I don't think we were turning the momentum. And, you know, yeah, we might have lost 43-21 and we would have would be having a different conversation. Um, but I think the conversation is still the same because it would still be 22 points. I'm not sure there is enough in that for... You know, yeah, as you say, you know, bouncing the ball. It is just one of those days at the office where you go, nothing went right. We weren't at the races. And we can sit here and analyse kind of, is the academy pathway right? Is the mentality right? You know, um, but actually what's probably going to happen is as a professional squad, they're going to go, right, we need to write, write that off, but make a massive men's for it on Friday night at home in front of a crowd. And... And that that is probably what will happen. And, and if that happens, you know, this will be pretty quickly forgotten, won't it? You know, I, I know we all, we still go on about Northampton, uh, partly because, uh, uh, like I say, you spent the full day travelling there and back to watch it. But you know, for for the most part, we have had a lot of other batterings that we don't kind of remember. You know, and we're like romanticising the last couple of seasons of the Sanderson saying this never happened. It probably did, and we've just kind of wiped it from our memories because that's what we do um so you know the, like i say the opportunity is there and i don't think this is even near to crisis stations but it is one of those days where you've got to sit and kind of take the pain of it and and we've got to go through and go it genuinely wasn't good enough you know this is a professional team losing 43 nil um i know it happens and that's fine and and you know over the season, there's a big amount of credit in the bank for all those players in the squad and, and everything else. But also, they more than anyone, they more than us will be holding themselves to account and going, no way that was good enough. And how you rectify that is, I think it almost naturally will rectify itself anyway, because everyone will now have a point to prove. But it does kind of leave you open to, if in three games' time, we maybe have won and then lost a couple, then are we going to be looking back and going, oh, well, that extra thing, all the themes from that of upfront dominance of not going over in the red zone and like you talked about there. Like I'm saying, that red zone thing, not really an issue. We probably don't need to analyse it that much because it didn't matter in the course of the game. But if we have a really close game against Gloucester and we spend all the time in their 22 and don't score, then does that become an issue? So... Yeah, it's, it's just like the start of the season, finding our way kind of thing. And it, it, it makes it interesting. Um, but it also, you know, there's there's times when you think, am I am I overanalyzing this? Or is there something that genuinely could be an issue? But I mean, all we can do is talk about it. Because until we get hired by the club, then uh, this isn't making any difference, is it? <laughs> yeah, very, very true. I mean, I guess the, the final thing I want to say on this before we move on to that game that you've just mentioned against Gloucester uh, on, uh, on Friday night is there's only 18 games a season now, uh, nine home, nine away. Um, 
game like this has dropped sales points difference from positive eight to minus 31. Yeah, that, that's right. I think. Let me, let, me, let me come back on the maths on that one. Uh, it's been a long day. Um, but, but the, the long and short of it is the set sales just dropped. You know, they had a positive points difference, and they're now at, uh, they're now at negative 31, which is um, the, the second worst in the league after Saracens. Yes, it's only three games. Yes, it's only a small sample size. But, but the reality is, like, we are now, we've now got an uphill battle. Uh, to get back to a positive points difference, and and again, look, we could beat Gloucester fifty points to nil this, this, this weekend, and and you know we're back to where we are. But when when the league is the league season is so short, when the games are so tight, this is what we spoke about before the season. Every game has has a real sort of jeopardy to it now. And if we get to the end of the season and we're battling for third or fourth, and uh, everyone's you know equal on fifty points. Having ships forty three points is going to make a massive difference, and not scoring any points either. So it's just all these little things which they're not a problem now, and we've got a really good chance to rectify against Gloucester. But is this going to be an opportunity we're going to root not for not for losing at Exeter, but but losing so handedly? I think that's going to be something that's quite interesting to think about as the season goes on. Yeah, I think you're right, and especially if you add in the fact that we didn't get any tri bonus points in the first two games of the season when we probably should have in both. Um, and and like you say, you know, get to the end of the season, and and there will be fine margins, and and we will look back at games like this because you're right that it is going to feel weird for rugby fans how short this season is going to be because it's the first time we've had this few teams in the league for a long time, um, and like you say, every game matters, and, and fundamentally we've got nine away games, and so you've got to be targeting to finish in the top four and the top two especially, you've got to be targeting to win over half of them, I think. And all of a sudden, we've now got games away at Saracens, where we haven't won in since before the dawn of time. Away games at Newcastle, which are just horrendous whenever you go there, because it's cold and in the north. Um, you know, I'll start adding the list, but you kind of, you know, I'm not going to go through all the teams, but where do you target your wins? And and if you're not beating an extra side who are going through transition and, and struggling and have lost a load of players, then how are you going to beat a Sarri side that won the league last season? Um, and, you know, it is quite funny that last two premiership, last two seasons finalists have got the worst points difference in the table now. It, it, it shows how competitive the league's going to be. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to come the end of the season how, how important those those missing the try bonus points and how important that points difference is and that kind of thing. Because as you say, everything has a little bit more importance on it now. Uh, everything's a little bit more influential on your final league position. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's as you say, it's an opportunity to write against Gloucester, but I don't think we can do the thing we used to do where we went, it's only a loss and we can get over a loss because it's just everything's compressed into being, like you say, you know, a loss is not only a loss, but it's one of your nine away games gone. It's your points difference knackered. It's you've missed out on a losing bonus point or and or a try bonus point. And all of a sudden, those things become really, really important when the league is as tight as it is. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. And listen, yeah, so we've lost a game of rugby. We're all pretty realistic as Sale fans, and we know we've had a great season last season, and we know we've had a decent start to the season this season. Um 
But I do think that bouncing back against Gloucester, we don't have the luxury that we used to have of having two or three games, a bad run, and you can come back from it. It has to be, I think, straight back against Gloucester and get a win and probably get a try bonus point, really, if if we're being greedy. Um, but on that note, let's chat about Friday night. Yeah, well, just to illustrate that point once more about how important it is to, to make the most of your opportunities by, by losing over the weekend, um, Sale have actually dropped below Gloucester. Gloucester are fifth on ninth and, and Sale are um, missed the chance to go above them. Uh, they are sixth on, on eight points. Um, and it's interesting because you could probably draw some comparisons between Gloucester and Sale uh, in terms of their start to the season. So Gloucester, uh, as you could probably guess from the amount of points they've accumulated, are, are two for three so far this year. They opened the season with a, a one-point win over Harlequins and then backed that up with a four-point win away at Newcastle uh, the week before last, 18 points to 14, a pretty impressive victory. Again, that's, to Alex's point, it's a tough place to go and win. Um Okay, all, all, all's going pretty well for Gloucester. Um, and then they threw up a, a complete dud uh, against uh, Saracens uh, over the weekend, losing uh, 24 points to three. Saracens' first win uh, of the season. And you might have seen the video of Jamie George and Theo Dan talking about the result after the uh, the England-Argentina game. Um, so it leaves Gloucester in a bit of a funny position. So um, they've had a bit of a nightmare 12 months. Uh, having been in a reasonably strong position midway through last season, they completely fell apart and actually ended up second bottom uh, of the table, uh, ultimately, uh, last year. Um, finishing 10th out of 11th, obviously we know Worcester or Wasps, uh, albeit uh, still 10 points uh, ahead of Newcastle, although with only one additional win, they had seven, whereas Falcons had six. Over the summer... There's not been too much to write about. And this is a theme, and I know James talks about it as well, but we are seeing that when we talk about incomings and outgoings, there really isn't the same sort of level of quality coming through uh, anymore for, for the English clubs. The, the highlight addition, and, and probably the only addition of, of note, if I'm being completely honest, is Zach Mercer coming back from Montpellier after a, a pretty strong couple of years there. Um He's rejoined. He's uh, he he's rejoined the English Premiership, and obviously was has kind of come in as a marquee signing for, for Gloucester. But outside of Mercer, not too many household names. Uh, Max Llewellyn came from Cardiff. Uh, ben Donald, Michael Dykes, uh, Kalen uh, Englefield, and uh, Afalabi uh, Fasog uh, Fasogben uh, all came through from London Irish uh, after after their untimely demise. In terms of outgoings, a couple of names that you'll uh, you'll be most familiar with: Jake Pelledri has has gone uh, gone to Italy. Uh, Tom Seabrook uh, has moved across to, to Northampton. Billy Twelvetree is going to Ealing. Geordie Reed, uh, uh, the Australian flanker, also going across to uh, Ealing. And as we move into, I believe it's year three or year four, George Skivington's reign uh, at Gloucester now. You're starting to get a sense that this is a team that is relatively settled, even if the results haven't necessarily been there. Um, the good news, if you're a Gloucester fan, is they are going to get a, an influx of talent coming back from uh, from from the World Cup. Um, Santiago Carreras, who's obviously been lighting it up for um, Argentina uh, at uh, at fly half, uh, should potentially be eligible uh, to play this weekend, depending on uh, rest periods. Um, 
as will Matias uh, Alamano, the, the lock who also plays for the Pumas. Um, but other than that, they are absolutely missing Adam Hastings, obviously not available due, due to injury at the moment. Um, and that lack of continuity at 10 has really sort of stifled them. Uh, you look at the team that went out to play um, Saracens at the weekend, only scoring three points, really struggling to get much much in the way of momentum. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a weakness for for Gloucester at the moment, and you do get the feeling Friday night at Sale, if Sale can get in front and build scoreboard pressure early on, it's going to be quite difficult for uh, Gloucester to get back into the game. They've got George Barton uh, currently starting at fly half, uh, assuming Carreras isn't available. Twenty two years old, handful of appearances for Gloucester so far. It's really not a it's really not a strength for them, um, and so. I think, Alex, with, with, with all that being said, thinking about the last sort of, sort of yeah year for, for Gloucester, looking at kind of you know some of the players who've left, some of the players who aren't back yet. No, no, Reesamet at the weekend. Uh, I don't believe. Um, no, Ollie Foley. No, Johnny May, etc., etc. Sorry, Ollie Foley did play, but no, Johnny May. Um, it does feel like this is a, a bit of a get-right game for for Sale, doesn't it? A, a Gloucester team with, don't get me wrong, some some really talented players um, uh, and a, a fair bit of continuity, but not realistically a team that should be challenging Sale for an upset win away from home on a Friday night, is it? No, you're exactly right. And, and I think that's the big thing when you look at kind of this and the Exeter game. The Exeter game, you would say, okay, we probably have the slightly stronger squad or more settled squad and and you know maybe we should win or maybe it'd be a narrow loss but you can understand why away from home shit weather uh traveling etc etc that 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 result happens um with this one i think you're right i think it's almost the opposite way around that this cost team had a really good start to the season that mercer was absolutely tearing it up in the first couple of weeks um but those key kind of positions of of influence, particularly at ten. Similarly at nine, obviously got Stephen Barney there, who's who's come back from the World Cup with Italy. Um, you know, they've they've probably got an area there that we can target, being brutally honest, albeit we should have targeted extra in some areas where they were inexperienced and that didn't work out too well, did it? So um I think that it's a really tough ask for them coming up on a Friday night. It's always hard in Manchester. I don't think the weather will be great on the basis of what we've seen. The old weather report section starting up again, but you know it does impact the game. It makes it. You know, we're used to it up here, and it, it just makes it another. It's another thing in our favour, almost. I think quite a lot of the time. Um, so that's the big kind of challenge to Gloucester and I think as you say it should be one that is probably a little bit too much to overcome if we're talking about kind of predictions and that kind of thing but it's not like and, and obviously this is goes without saying but they're not going to come and roll over and have the tummies tickled it's a very very strong pack it's a George Skivington team they're gonna front up up front yeah they might not have the experience at nine and ten or certainly at ten but they're gonna you know they're going to challenge us in the areas that Exeter challenged us, and it's crucial that we win that battle. It really is um, because you know, as I say, you just can't get your backs going without that. So if they win that and kind of drag it into a bit of a a contest that's more reminiscent of you know a, 
a nine six against Bath than a, a game against Quinns or that kind of thing. You know, the the best scenario for sale here is, you know, a hark back to that night when Byron McGuigan scored a couple of tries and we beat them by fifty seven points or whatever it was. That's the best outcome. If the game is like that, I think Sale will put points on them and it'll almost be a reverse of the Exeter thing. If we get dragged into the the dark arts and the carrying up the jumper, then I still think we could and should win, but I just think that plays into Gloucester's strengths because, you know, they are they have got a good pack and, and you know, as you said, I think Zach Mercer's rejuvenated, but you know, they've just got the kind of players who and this sounds demeaning but it isn't but they just work really hard and they are talented but they work really hard the Lewis Ludlow's the George McGuigan's they're going to keep coming at you all day um, it's almost a bit like playing Newcastle uh, in that sense you know that their pack just will not stop and you have to beat them you have to beat their pack to beat them so yeah it's a, it's a big challenge for us and I think it's a really interesting team to play in, in that sense because you know if it was a Quinns it's a completely different game to Exeter because the ball's going to get thrown around and that kind of thing. But it's quite a similar kind of look to that extra side, I think, in where the strengths are. And this is kind of a lot of the... I think Gloucester and Exeter are very similar in that kind of region, in the way they play. Um, it's a bit like playing a Leicester as well. So we've had three quite similar games in a row with, with Leicester, Exeter, Gloucester. Um, we did really well at Leicester to nullify that threat. We did very badly at Exeter. So it's um, you know it's good to, it's good to be home as well. I think two away games on the trot is always hard. So we've got home on a Friday night. I'm feeling confident, but I do think that I worry that the weaknesses we saw against Exeter could come back to haunt us against Gloucester. I guess it's it's prediction time. Um, I'm a, but before we jump on that, one question for you, Alex. I don't believe any of our England internationals will be eligible to play, will they? I don't think so on the basis that I presume they need a week off when they get back. Um, I'd certainly, uh, I think the other point is that they were all involved in the match day 23 on Friday night against mm. Argentina. So I suspect not, albeit we have seen people come back from the World Cup and go straight back into squads because um, I'm pretty sure Theo McFarlane did it for Sarri's yeah, didn't, uh, didn't Finn Russell do it for Bath as well? Yeah, Finn Russell did as well. So, you know, I think it could happen, but obviously England have gone a lot deeper in that tournament. It's been a pretty emotionally draining one for them. Um, so I, and I think the other thing here is that England players are treated differently to non-England players. And I think the RFU have got more say over when they rest and when they come back. So I suspect they will be resting. Obviously, no autumn internationals um, because of the World Cup. So we have got them for a decent period. You know, we probably, in fact, we basically won't be missing them again. But I I suspect we won't see, even if they are available, I I suspect they will be having a well-earned week off um, given they've been out in France for eight weeks or whatever it is, because it's a long old rugby world cup when you get to the final, isn't it? It really is. Um, so assuming no George Ford, Bevan Rod, Tom Curry, etc., what's your um, what's your prediction for Friday night? I think it's gonna be a win, but I don't think it's gonna be a simple one. I think it's gonna be twenty three uh, sixteen to sale. So I think Gloucester will just sneak a bonus point, but 
I think we'll get over the line, similar to kind of similar to the Leicester game. I'm thinking. Uh, what about yeah. you? I, I'm feeling quite confident on this. I, 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 I'm, I'm not too concerned about Gloucester, um, particularly on a Friday night away from home. I think, I think 32-8 to sail. I, I think the 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 attack will click. I think we we won't struggle uh, as much up front. Um, yeah, I'm feeling um, I'm feeling quite confident for this one. Um, well, let's hope I'm as confident with that pick uh, as I was with my Rugby World Cup pick because we've got one final thing to talk about. Obviously, a monumental World Cup final uh, over the weekend. Congratulations to the Springboks. Back-to-back world champions now. Uh, they'll have a, a reign as the world's best for, for eight years. Um, Alex, I mean... I mean, what? what quick, first of all, quick quick thoughts on the result and, and the game as a whole. 12-11, one try, box don't score after about the 35th minute or something like that. I mean, what, what, was, what was your take on the game? Because to me, it was, um, it was a brilliant test match, but maybe didn't quite live up to the spectacle of some of those quarterfinals we had two weeks ago. Yeah, I agree. I think it was it was a brilliant test match. It was great to watch. It was intensity. It was it was everything a final will be. And and you know, I think finals very rarely live up to other games. I know last year we had the semi final was the real big game. England, sorry, last World Cup uh, was the semi final was a big game. England New Zealand, and then the final kind of was a bit obviously great for South African fans, but it wasn't quite the contest that the semi was. Um, I think that's happened again. It's obviously tense in the final. I think New Zealand's New Zealand's great run, which we saw them kind of from the loss in the first pool game against France, they really recovered and they kind of proved quite a lot of doubters wrong. That Ireland game was massive. Um, I think that made a big difference and, and kind of gave them a bit more confidence. But then I think in the final, we probably saw where the reason that Ian Foster isn't continuing because I think the kind of old weaknesses that they had did come back a little bit. I think, you know, ultimately if Richie Mwanga kicks that conversion, they win the game probably. I don't think South Africa looked, but then, you know, South Africa always find a way to win a penalty and and knock it over, don't they? Um, I think South Africa deserved it. I think they were unbelievably physical and intense. Um, I think New Zealand kind of, tried to play a bit too much and, and didn't... This is a thing with New Zealand that I think five, ten years ago, they used to just be able to play their way and beat everyone. And there are certain teams now, mainly South Africa, who if they play their way against, they will struggle to beat. And and yeah, they might beat them sometimes, but other times they won't. So yeah, that was a bit of a... Um, a maybe a little bit of an issue for New Zealand side from a South African perspective. I think they did everything right. I think they played to their strengths. They, you know, made the game into something where they could dominate, um, really drew it in, made it tight, kicked their points when they did. And and that first half, I think New Zealand just let them get away. And you can't do that with South Africa because they are very good at building a lead and then maintaining it. And, and New Zealand really did do that. They just, you know, penalty after penalty and all of a sudden, you know, um, there's obviously a couple of big refereeing calls. I still think now that most of them were pretty bang on. I think the cards were, you know, under the laws, probably both about right. Um, I think you could, if you really wanted to, tie yourself up in knots arguing over whether they were right or not. But I it's do, just a game, I, isn't it? 
I do feel a little bit for Shannon Frizzell. Um, I don't think I've yeah, ever that's seen, true, actually. I don't think I've ever seen a yellow card for that because, um, you know, he goes in for the clear out. He, he, you know, he, it's, it, to be honest, it's not that he gets it wrong. It's just an ineffective clear out. I and mean, he just sort of falls on the, on Bongi's knee. And it, it's a bit of a weird one because, yeah, it's it's the letter of the law. Yes, it's a yellow card. But I, I think that was that one was a little bit harsh. Outside of that, Khaleesi, yep. Some Kane, red card, I think was probably fair as well. Um, it is a shame, you know, to have a game that, that could have been marred by that incident. But actually, fair play to the All Blacks for actually getting um, as, as close as they did, given that they played with 14 men for 60, for 50 minutes. Um, but yeah, I just thought, uh, sorry, I've hijacked you a little bit there, but I just wanted to shout out Peter Steph to Toy because... I don't think I've ever enjoyed watching a one-on-one matchup as much as I, I did watching Detroit basically man-mark Geordie Barrett. And a lot of the talk about this kind of resurgent New Zealand success over the last couple of, uh, of months has been around Geordie's bigger role in the team and how he's really sort of stepped in as, as, as their main their main line 12. Um, uh, David Harvili was, was playing there for you know the, the, the sort of run-up before that. Jordy Barrett's had an absolutely incredible run, and he's been su- such a linchpin to that the the, the Kiwi success. But Steph Detoy was, yeah, effectively man marking him, and the amount of like bone rattling tackles he put on him, it's probably you know four or five in a game. And it was such a momentum killer, and it really closed down one of the avenues that the Kiwis had found in the last twelve months to to get that sort of forward momentum back in a way that they didn't have against like Ireland when Ireland toured there. Uh, last year, and I just thought that that was fascinating. Just the the, the real sort of chess match that you, that you saw across the field, but particularly in that area, I thought was it was, it was mesmerising to watch. Yeah, absolutely. It, he was inhumanly good. Stuff to talk. It was just ridiculous, and and I think there was some inhuman performances all, all around. I think Ali Sabaya was ridiculous as well. Uh, didn't deserve to be on the losing side, but as you say. I, for a guy who has had so many horrendous injury problems um, and, you know, let's be honest, not played that much in between the World Cups, it's just like that big a game to come and put that performance in is just mind-blowing. It's so impressive. And I think that's the thing with that South Africa team. I think, you know, you can... There's a lot of reasons to not love them, but... As a rugby fan, I think you've got to appreciate how they play. It's just so suited to their strengths. And they've got so many incredibly talented players all over the pitch. You know, the the whole front row twice over. Um, Etzebet, just an absolute massive performance again. Um, you know, and all of it kind of led by Sia Khaleesi, who I think I would run through brick walls for, and I don't particularly have any affinity with South Africa, but he is just some some bloke. Um, so, yeah, I think I was disappointed because I wanted the All Blacks to win, um, but that was because I was watching it with an All Black friend, but I am very happy to see Khaleesi, who I think is a massively deserving World Cup winning captain twice over, and I think South Africa are the team to beat. And and the, the thing that the rugby world, the rest of the rugby world has got to work out is 
how do you beat South Africa but also survive the rest of the tournament? And and that is a real challenge because no one's quite worked that out yet. You know, England survived the tournament in 2019 but then couldn't beat South Africa in the final. France kind of France and Ireland were all over the tournament and I know Ireland beat South Africa in the group stages, but even their win didn't look convincing against South Africa side who was sandbagging a bit for me. South Africa did what they needed to do to get through to the um, knockout stages and then won every game by a point. It is just, it's a mentality thing, but it's also a physicality thing. And, and it's a real sort of gauntlet laid down to, to everyone else. So um, be really interesting to see where that is in, in four years' time. Obviously, it'll be down in Oz. And, well, yeah, who's going to be able to challenge? Well, on that point, uh, about four years' time from now, um, the greats starting to build up. Every member of the, the South African starting pack was over 30. And Peter Seftatoy is 31. You know, Sia Khaleesi is, uh, I'm going to do this, 32. Even Etzebeth is uh, 32. On one hand, you'd say, well, actually, you look at that team and so many of their players are going to be mid-30s. That there is bound to be some drop-off. Etz, one of Etzebeth, Khaleesi, um, Steph Toy probably isn't going to be there, right? Maybe two, maybe all three of them won't be. You know, you go up and down this. Dion, Dion Foray, thirty-seven. He's not going to be there at the at uh, you know at the, at the next World Cup. Although I know Charles Brits was there in in twenty nineteen, uh, forty odd or whatever. Um, but you do go up and down the city. You think this was maybe the, the 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 closing of that window. You know, this was this this was the time, and you look at you know Andre, Andre Pollard, um, who I thought had a fantastic tournament, even though he barely played, is is twenty nine. You know, you just start to see over the course of uh, four years, a lot of those players will age out, and you do wonder whether or not, a bit like New Zealand after twenty fifteen, there's going to be a slight sort of uh, you know passing of the baton, and maybe they'll. Maybe they'll fall off, but at the moment, it is just unbelievable to think that this team is is basically unbeatable at the moment. Um, they beat they beat France, they beat England, they beat um, New Zealand. Yes, they got beat by Ireland, but like you said, I think if that game was a knockout, the, the box would win it. Um, it's mad to think that the team that's done the best uh, against them so far in recent years has been Wales when they went down there and won in. Um, uh, one in South Africa, bizarre. Um, but, but rugby is a funny old game. And um, I guess for, final thing, uh, just on the World Cup, then Alex, your you, your thoughts about the tournament overall? Good, bad, I think spectacle. It was, yeah, I think it was a really good tournament. I think it was. I actually really liked that we had four amazing quarterfinals, and then you know two decent semi-finals. Well, one decent semi-final in England, South Africa, and one pasting. Um, and a good final. I, I quite like the way it worked. I know people really wanted it. You know, if you're an Irish fan, I get why you're pissed off. But also, I, I don't know. You know, you've got to win. You got you, you were going to have to beat New Zealand at some point, just because you did it. Didn't do it in a quarterfinal rather than didn't do it in a semi-final doesn't mean anything to me. So, I actually really liked how that came worked out. I'm I'm not on the oh this is a disgrace and all the four best teams should be in the, the semi-finals. Um, I think we saw enough upsets. Fiji obviously beating Australia, uh, Portugal beating Fiji. I think the story of the the World Cup for me should be those P- Portugal, Uruguay, Chile, all those kind of emerging teams who played such entertaining rugby and 
and genuinely stepped up and, and were able to compete with with the bigger teams. Um, and it's a real shame that they haven't aren't going to get the chance to kind of progress and, and play those big teams in between World Cups. Um, but that is a far too nuanced and, and bigger topic to go into uh, right now. So, yeah, I think overall, a lot of uh, real positive storylines out of that Rugby World Cup. I think it was a really good tournament. France, very good hosts. Um, you know, I don't think there was quite the big narrative. Of, you know, 2019 was like the real South Africa coming back out of nowhere, you know, this this one it was almost you never knew who was going to win it and i think that is good um and i think a lot of people will have watched that final on saturday night and, and it was right in the balance all the way through and even you know before the tournament if you look at you know the two favorites went out in the quarters it's so the level of competition it shows the level of competition at the top is good it shows that there's a massive amount of potential from the um sort of second tier and below nations the issue that Royal Rugby haven't solved and that this tournament highlighted is that when those two play each other, you still get good games, so let's play them more often. But it's not going to happen. Um, Augustin Pichot needs to be president of World Rugby and we need a um, we need a rugby, uh, what do you call it, games console game so that we can grow the tournament, grow the game. Because I think there was interest in this Rugby World Cup and... How are we going to follow that up? How are we going to kind of get right? Okay, you, you you watched the game on Saturday night, did you? Here's what you do next, because I can guarantee I'll go into work today and everyone will be like, okay, rugby's done that, and they won't be thinking about watching the Premiership. So it's um, it's there's still challenges, but I do think it was a good tournament overall for me. I really enjoyed watching it. Watched a lot of it. Will remember a lot of the games, um, and yeah, I think a deserving winner in South Africa as well, which is is quite nice. So yeah, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I mean, obviously, being in Australia now, the start times were a bit of a killer. But I think over the overall, really good tournament. The narratives, the quality, good final. Semi-finals were, were, you know, one of them was a bit disappointing. The quarterfinals was the best weekend of rugby I think I've ever seen. Um, starting with that Argentina-Wales game, which has got completely lost in the shuffle, but that was a brilliant game as well. Like you said, Portugal-Chile. Uruguay, these these stories that have come out, it's great seeing another to, uh, another couple of teams make their debuts. You know, Chile, I thought obviously didn't didn't do particularly well, but great to see them. Shows how the game's grown in South Africa, and and just lastly on on France, um, I just love that every game was in like a forty thousand seat stadium. You know, I can't remember what the, you know, I can't remember what the the, the smallest one was, but even if they're in Saint Etienne, even if they're in Toulouse, even if they're in like a Nantes Stadium. Like everything was, you know, 25, 30, 40,000 seats. And obviously then you have your showpiece events at the Stade de France. Um, I just loved like every every game felt like a, at least a big game. And it, you didn't have that kind of, you know, dud, I don't know, chilly Samoa game in like a 12,000 seat stadium or whatever. And I know the tournament's too big for that, but every game was, you, you know, it felt like there was a really strong atmosphere. I think pretty much every game sold out. I thought France as a whole has, has done really, really well as a as a host. I think, you know, 27 will be in Australia. Um, and then after that, there's a question mark. Obviously, it sounds like they want to get it into the US, which could be amazing or it could really struggle. But I thought France, to me, just felt like maybe at the moment, the the, the best that we can do in terms of population size and, and interest in the game. Obviously, Australia's got, a, you know, a third of the population. Um 
So it'd be really interesting to see how they follow each other. But yeah, thought thought overall really well done, and um, it's a shame it's another four years until the, until the next one. But that's the pod for this week, um, and an end to international chat for a little bit. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you to everyone for sending your three word reviews, uh, and fingers crossed. Uh, next week's pod will be a much happier one. Uh, Alex, anything from your side before we uh, say goodbye? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, Sharks women played this weekend in the Cup, but um, got bristled, so don't want to talk about that. No not one to talk about. Um, haven't actually checked how cold it is in the Championship. But no, looking forward to Friday night. Obviously get down there, second home game of the season. Um, should be a really good one. Nice atmosphere on a Friday night against Gloucester. Um yeah, and the only other thing we haven't talked about, which we're not going to talk about anyway, is Tom Curry, but just obviously from the pod, our uh, best wishes and support to him. Um, don't want to give that particular thing any more oxygen than it's already had because it's hard far too much. Uh, but yeah, obviously we hope he is all right and we can't wait to have him back at sale. So on that note, get back, Tom, have a rest, and we will all come and shout for you at the next time you play at the AJ Bell.